Um, well, I'm Rick Thorpe, and uh, I am the in in Diocese of London and Church of England terms. I'm the Bishop of Islington. Um, I do live in Islington, but I don't have actually much to do with Islington. That's covered by another bishop, the Bishop of Stepney. Um, but um, this role was created by the former Bishop of London to help start new churches. And so that's my main focus in London, is to help start new churches. So we've started about 100 new churches since 2013. Um, this DAS has done a lot of um, starting new churches called church planting. So it's got a history of doing that back know decades and we've got a plan um, we just felt God was really stirring us to say well why couldn't every church in the diocese do at least one maybe small church plant or big church plant um, depending on who are the people they're not connecting with in their areas and if all of them did that that would be 400 churches so it's like okay let's we kind of gave it to the Lord and said what do you think and I think we all felt stead to say let's go for it let's let's aim high let's go for that big bold target and then um, we're then saying, okay, Lord, how do we do this in practice? And it's one step at a time. But you are an example of churches that are doing it. So um, St. Albans that was reopened a few years ago is an example. Um, it's kind of at the one big end of actually reopening a closed church. But then just starting like this evening service or starting a group to reach a, uh, people in the, in, in the area who are not connecting with church. That's just as much an opportunity to start something new as well. So we're really into helping reach new people in new places, in new ways with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what I do. I love it. Um, I've, uh, one of my colleagues, H, is here. And um, so you can, he answers all the difficult questions. Um, but we want to encourage every church to get, you know, to join in with this amazing movement that God is doing, not just here, but all over the country and all over the world. So um, I am, is this yours? I might just give it away just in case it falls off this, um, this stand. Um, I am married to Louis. We've been married for just over 25 years. And we have at the moment a, a little dog at home called Murphy. Um, you know Murphy's Law that anything that will go wrong, uh, might go wrong, will go wrong. Well, that is, um, it was a, like a prophetic name. And um, we, uh, he's a sprocker, which is a kind of combination between a springer spaniel and a cocker spaniel. And this, put it this way, there's quite a lot of energy in him. And he's eight months old and um, he keeps us on our toes. So Louis is looking after Murphy at the moment. And we've got three children who are 23, 21, and 19 in various places around the country. So um, I would love to dive into this passage because it is an amazing, amazing story of someone whose life is completely transformed. And that's what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus is gonna do that tonight with some people. He's gonna transform some people's lives tonight. Nothing to do with me, but because of what Jesus wants to do and what he did in this person's life and actually what he wants to do in everyone's lives. And um, that's what Jesus is in the, in, in the business of doing. He wants to transform people's lives. Um, it is a strange time that we're living in, isn't it? You know, with um, the awful tragedy in Ukraine, um, it's, it is just so complex, uh, so evil, so um, uh, complicated uh, when you kind of go into the politics and geopolitics and so on. But also, it is just such a waste, isn't it? Going to war is such a waste. 
and yet um, it's happening. People are risking their lives, people are dying, people's uh, livelihoods have been um, completely ruined um, before our eyes. And um, in this country, it almost like, it feels like we're powerless to do very much, but we can pray. We can pray and actually just reflect when we were praying just now at the beginning of this service that um, God is able to change the hearts of rulers and uh, he can change hearts or he can remove people. Um, he can change armies um, and kind of move them around and um, destroy and raise up. This is the God who is all powerful. And so he hears our prayers and listens to our prayers. And it's not just about the macro stuff that we need to be praying but it's also about the micro stuff in our lives, the stuff that you think no one else knows about, but God knows. And there's stuff tonight that God's going to look at with you that no one else knows, but he knows. And he's going to show you that he loves you and that he is for you and he wants the best for you. So I think that's a really good moment to pray. So I know we've been praying a bit already, but Lord, I just want to give you this, um, this time, Lord. Thank you for this amazing passage of scripture read to us about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and how Jesus, you transformed her life. And we pray that you would transform lives tonight. You'd help us to be those who step into that place of helping others to be transformed as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So... This Samaritan woman is a real person in a, living a real life in a real place. There's so much detail here that it, it's, it, just is, you know, it, it just rings true. This rings true of an, a real person, a real event in time. And there is kind of the remains of the impact of this. Our, a church was left behind that, um, has, you know, that has a history that's kind of kept going through time. But this woman, um, we, it's difficult for us to read and relate to her unless you kind of delve a little bit more deeply into it. Because, um, you know, he, Jesus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan woman. So that meant religiously they were divided. There was a boundary between them that neither of them were supposed to cross. It's like some really strict Hasidic Jews aren't supposed to associate with people of other religions. There are just these strict boundaries that are in place, and, and there's a boundary between them. He was a man, she was a woman. In that culture, that divided them, because in public, they weren't supposed to speak together. In our culture, it's completely it's difficult to relate to, isn't it? And yes, in that culture, they were divided. He was holy. He was the son of God. She was not very holy. In fact, the reason she was around at noon, picking up water was because she was embarrassed to be around the rest of the people in the town when everyone else collected water because of her promiscuous life, because things had not gone the way they should have done in her life. He was in community. He had arrived with a bunch of um, his followers, his disciples. She was alone. There are so many boundaries here that are in the way. And... Those boundaries are erected by human beings, and actually some of them are safe boundaries. We've got a boundary that is a safe boundary, a, a physical border in Ukraine that's supposed to be safe, and that's been violated. But there are some boundaries we put up that it's like we want to keep people out to defend ourselves, but actually they're not very helpful boundaries. 
And Jesus is in this space where he is going to move towards this woman's boundaries and cross over into almost like a no man's land in between these boundaries. He's going to create some space that enables this woman to respond in, in a unique way. He is going to make that first move. But all the things, everything was against them. She was, or they were both distanced from each other, socially, physically, morally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, every way possible. And when you think about the woman, it's like she is in an agony of life. It's she's made some wrong choices but also she's caught up in a system that has rejected her. So she is, I think, full of fear, insecurity, uncertainty. What do other people think about me? Will, can I trust anyone at all? She's full of guilt, in that society, you didn't just live with a man who you weren't married to, and yet she was doing that. And she'd been married five times before. What kind of life, messed up life, had, was she kind of being thrust from one person to another? So the gulf between them is just absolutely enormous. You couldn't have a bigger gulf. It's like thinking, okay, what is the worst possible situation we could set up? Here it is. And yet... With all that distance, with all that gulf of separation, Jesus makes the first step. He does it in a very, very simple way. He puts himself in a position where he says, I need something from you. So again, something you'd never do, you'd never put yourself in that position of needing something. But he says, woman, will you give me a drink? So simple. Something you actually you can do I'm going to take the step towards you and make the first move. And we see that this um, is, I think, often the way Jesus is at work. He steps in and he doesn't violate any boundary that we have. But he puts himself in a position where we need him. We recognize that actually we can respond to an invitation that he gives. I want to tell you about... Um, uh, a dear friend now called Karina. And she, um, I was involved in a church plant in 2005 in East London, and she was one of our neighbors. We used to invite our neighbors around um, for two parties a year. We'd have one at Christmas and one in the summer. And we were trying to think, what are the different ways we can invite different people to our home? Some people love tea and cake. Some people love beer and sandwiches. Some people like to lust a nice glass of wine. Some people Prosecco. We're just trying to find different ways to get different people to come. So we, and we invited the same group of people every year, twice a year, for 10 years. And Karina was one of the people who we invited. And she was um, quite shy to start with. And we got to know her uh, over a period of time. Uh, didn't come to church, but uh, she was from Sweden. She'd um, run away from Sweden um, because of a situation where she had had basically a mental breakdown. And she um, had um, run away from her husband, who was actually kind of messing her around a little bit, but also her children. And you can imagine how strongly she must have felt to leave her children behind. That's a massive, massive deal. 
but she, and she was a bright woman, she was a businesswoman, very capable, ran her own business, and she needed to get away from her in situation. And she'd run to London, she uh, had become uh, addicted to alcohol, and um, she was completely broken. Uh, she didn't trust anyone, she uh, just found, um, she was just at the, the end of herself. And she noticed people, uh, lots of young people um, like this, kind of milling around the church, and she was intrigued by that. And some people invited her in, and um, she sat at the back of church. There was like a sofa at the very back of church. And during the worship, uh, she just started crying. And um, she, at the, after the worship, she would kind of go out and then come along next Sunday, and she would just sit through the worship. And she would just be weeping from the beginning to the end of that worship. And um, she... Basically, God transformed her life. She came on an alpha course where kind of a lot of things fell into place, and she gave her life to Jesus. And fast forward a few years, and her life has been completely transformed. She would say that Jesus grabbed me out of the darkness, out of, a, out of the pit where she felt she was at, and kind of lifted her out, and um, did it so gently and kindly. But she has now... Um, friends with her husband, her former husband. Her, they got divorced and he's married again, but they're friends. She's reconciled with her children, but she lives about a mile away from her grandchildren now so that she can look after them. Um, and she is completely transformed as a person. She hasn't touched a drop of alcohol since she gave her life to Christ. And that's just, you know, someone's life completely changed. Someone who is at the absolute... Um, you know, to run away from your children because you couldn't cope. That was the, the extent of where she was at. And now she's been completely reconciled with them. So, here's an amazing woman as well in this story. And the first thing I think we see here is that Jesus knows you more than your deepest secrets. So in verse 16... Jesus says, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Can you imagine that happening? <laughs> so... so um, she, does, she tells the truth, but Jesus reveals all this information that he couldn't possibly have known. He hadn't talked to her, and she knew that he didn't know that, that he couldn't have known by any other means. So it's like um, there was an expression a few years ago about reading your mail. Uh, when someone actually is prophetically gifted, they're able to see stuff that they can't possibly know in practice, almost like them opening up the mail that you get through the letterbox and reading it. God reveals these things to Jesus, and Jesus speaks them out. And the thing is that um, you know, there is nothing that God cannot see in our lives. That's pretty scary on some levels, but greatly encouraging on others. There's nothing that God cannot see in you. You know, we can hide ourselves behind a mask. 
so that other people can't see the real us. But God can see you. God knows you. We can put a boundary up so that no one can get in. And often we do that when we're hurt, especially, because we don't know if we can trust anyone else. But actually, God can see over that boundary. He sees what's going on. He understands why you've put that barrier up. We can hide the things that we've done wrong from other people so they never find out. But God knows what you've done. He knows, if those are like kind of negative things, he also knows the secrets of your heart. You know those secrets, the desires that you just think, Lord, I would love to do this. I'd love to be with that person or I'd love to be successful in that area or I'd love to just be recognized for this particular thing. He knows those things as well. He knows the desires of your hearts. He knows your dreams. The things that you lie awake just thinking, what if? And God knows those things as well. He sees. I think the amazing thing is that when you reflect on that, everything about yourself, about who you are. You know, the, one, of the, 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 one of the extraordinary things in our society at the moment is people feel so alone, and yet they're so known on Facebook and Instagram. We feel, you know, we can push ourselves out there, but we feel so alone because we think, actually, no one knows what I'm really like. No one knows who I really am. And the thing about God is he knows everything about you. He knows the good things and the bad things, the things that you long for, the things that you hope will never happen. He knows your hopes, your fears, your dreams, your nightmares. He knows you. And like this woman, he knew her. And the extraordinary thing about this woman is that that doesn't freak her out. I mean, it kind of freaks her out, but she doesn't kind of run away. Because she says, it just goes straight on. It's fascinating. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And then she goes on to, you know, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this, the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. So she doesn't run away, just think, oh, I can't cope with this. She actually engages in conversation with him. So even though God knows everything about you, the good stuff and the bad stuff, you do not need to fear in fact, it's a place of invitation to say, Jesus, actually, I want to lean in more. Because you know me, that means actually the barriers can come down. This barrier between us, the gulf between us, he steps in and says, I know all about you. And you can either say, I don't want to go any further. Or you can say, actually, God, I want you to come in more. The place of loneliness, I want you to come into that place. But how do we know we can trust him? I think that's the second thing this shows us is that um, we see not just that he knows you more than your most hidden secrets, he loves you more than you dare imagine. He loves you more than you dare imagine. So Jesus approaches this woman, and he doesn't keep her at arm's length. He approaches her. He comes close to her. He, he actually asks her, you know, for a drink. Will you give me a drink? Then he says, whoever drinks the water, verse 14, that I give them will never thirst. He's giving her an offer that is difficult to refuse. He gives her what she desperately needs. 
He crosses the boundaries, but respects her boundaries. He reveals her deepest secrets, but clearly in such a loving way that she doesn't shy away from him. Again, verse 14, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, this is a hint, isn't it, of what Jesus has come to do, to be the one who brings eternal life. How is eternal life possible? Well, we've got to get over this slight barrier of our wrongdoings, our sinfulness, the things that separate us from God, the thoughts, the words, the deeds, the things that we know have done wrong, that separate us from a holy God. And yet Jesus is saying, actually, there's a way to get this eternal life through this living water. What's this water going to do? It's going to cleanse you. It's going to um, uh, wash you through. It's going to satisfy your thirst. It's going to fill you and give you everything that you need. It's going to um, empower you to live a different kind of life. It's going to change everything. And he's saying, I can give you this water if you want it. What did this woman need? She needed healing. I think when you think about what had happened to her, the decisions, yes, that she'd made, but the things that had been done to her. She needed deep healing that is not going to come through um, a few counseling sessions or a few paracetamols. She needed deep, deep healing. But she also needed forgiveness. And she knew that. And we see here just this act of offering this water to her, the water, the living water, the water that leads to eternal life, the water that's going to, in Jesus' words, spring up from within you. This is an offer of forgiveness. It's an offer of new life. It's an offer of hope for the future. And that's what Jesus does for each one of us. He gives us, he loves you. So when we think, really, you know, does he really know what I've done? Yes, he does. He knows everything about you. He knows the deepest secrets in your life. He knows about that. And yet he still wants to offer you this living water. This is absolutely phenomenal. The free gift of eternal life. That's why this is going to transform people's lives. He forgave her, he accepted her, he healed her, and her healing wasn't just for herself. <clears throat> it was going to change her community because she's being healed so that she can be in community with people again. So it wasn't just going to heal her, it was going to heal the relationships with other people. It was actually going to heal her community by being able to accept her again. This stuff is dangerously powerful, <laughs> changing people's lives, changing communities' lives. And of course, we see in this that he gives her a purpose because she goes back into the town and tells people about what has happened to her. None of us deserve God's love, and yet he loves us anyway. She didn't deserve God's love, but he loved her anyway. None of us deserve eternal life, but he's done everything he can to enable us to receive it. 
How, how is that possible? When, even, you know, when she says, actually, I'm going to, could this be the Messiah, the Savior of the world? How is that possible? And we know, don't we, that, you know, the symbol, I kind of wear a cross as a bishop, just to remind me, people who wear crosses, we remind ourselves that Jesus died on a cross to take all the stuff that makes sure that we don't deserve eternal life, don't, don't deserve to be loved, actually. All that stuff that we have done wrong, but also that's been done to us that makes us feel dirty. All that stuff he took on his own shoulders. And he died a death that was more than just a human death, a death that took our sins onto his shoulders so that we could be set free from those sins. We could be set free from that dirt and evil and pain. So that when he took them on his shoulders, he died. Many of us, you know, we, we come into the world, don't we, to live a life. He came not just to live a life, but to die. That was the purpose, so that he could take our sins on his shoulders. So when we look at a cross, we remind ourselves of actually why he came. And actually in that act of dying on the cross, he sets us free. He cleanses us from our sins. He takes all those things and sets us free. When Jesus talks about the water of life here, the water that springs up to eternal life, it's like that water is a purifying water, purifies us from the impurity of sin, purifies us from the kind of dirt that is left when we've said something horrible to someone or done something horrible to someone. That um, amazing act of love on the cross. I always think, you know, when I look at a cross, I just think God loves me so much. He loves me this much that he died for me. He loves you this much that he died for you. And so the amazing thing is that he didn't stay dead. God rose him from the dead and he's alive today so that we can know him personally. And we can know this love because we can receive it from a living person. you can experience that kind of same transformation that that woman experienced today. Some of you have experienced that already. And the thing is, we need to keep on experiencing it. It's not something that um, happened 40 years ago, that amazing story. <laughs> I was doing the maths in my head and going, wow, that's a lifetime now of actually realizing that God can do amazing things when we give. But he needs to keep on reminding us so that we can keep on coming before him and keep on being transformed. So we see in this story, Jesus saying, he knows you more than the deepest secrets of your heart that are known. He loves you more than you can dare imagine. He loves you. He's expressed that in, in the cross. But we also say that he wants, you, wants to use you more than you can imagine. You know, the impact of this woman's encounter with Jesus is extraordinary. 
So again, just picking up the passage. There are loads of things we could talk about, but I can only talk about some of them here. So she says, um, you know, when the disciples come back, um, well, just the core of the, 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 the reading. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Can you imagine that kind of drop dead moment? So I'm the guy, do you think you've, you've heard about this guy? I'm the one. There's another passage in Luke chapter four. Do you remember when Jesus says, um, you know, uh, reads out the um, prophecy from Isaiah um, about the spirit of the Lord resting. I'm gonna read it because I want to get it right. Jesus, when he's, um, after he's been in the wilderness, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. It's kind of reading out the Bible reading because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, set, sent me to proclaim fr freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, that's the kind of the reading, and gave it back to the attendant, sat down. Eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So it's like it's a, another one of those moments. The Messiah you've been heard about, I am the one. And she, just at that moment, you know, the, we see that um, she is completely, obviously completely transformed because she then, disciples come back, she goes into the town, verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So here's this woman who is, um, who is escaping people just to try and get away from them, to keep away from them. She's kind of collecting water at noon. She's isolated from all these people she's divorced from. Everyone thinks she's a, a kind of basically a slut. And um, she wants to uh, kind of shrivel up and just be away from everyone. And then she's going back into the town to the very people who've rejected her, a completely different woman. She's saying, come and meet this person who knows everything about me. He's given her a purpose. He's given her like a new injection of life and energy and direction in her life. And um, he wants to use you in a similar way to the way he used this woman. He gave this woman a fresh start. He gave this woman a fresh purpose that is gonna change people's lives. And that is what Jesus wants for every single person who turns to him. He doesn't just want you to be right with God, just you on your own. He wants to draw you in to the kingdom of God where everything changes for everyone. He wants you to be involved in that. You're all gonna be involved in different ways. Some of you will, um, it'll be just, encouraging one person that will change the world and that's your role it might be just helping behind the scenes or in front of other people it doesn't matter god will show you and help you to find your purpose find the way that you can support and help other people but this woman has become an evangelist of all the, you know talk about a 360 you know 180 degree turn spreading the good news about the one who had the power to love her forgive her purify her, transform her. And I, I think he, he just does it in such a beautiful and open way. And look at the way she 
responds. So she doesn't go in telling people, you have to believe in this person. She says, come, come and see. It's an invitation. In the same way that Jesus invited her in that kind of no man's land, crossing a boundary but not pushing her, himself on her own boundaries. He invites her to respond. And she's kind of picking up that same thing of actually saying, come and see. Crossing a boundary, all those boundaries that were because of what she'd done, she meets people where they're at, but then says, come and see. Come and inviting people into that space. And you know, for me, um, I think you run Alpha here, don't you? Is that right? Alpha is, I'm just slightly, um, I've seen the Alpha course change so many people's lives that I can't speak too highly of it. I've been involved in like 50 courses myself, just seeing people again and again respond to his invitation. And the beautiful thing about Alpha is all you need to do is invite people. <laughs> and you're just saying, come and ask your questions. Um, come and ask the questions that you've got about Jesus because that's what this woman said. Come and find out whether this might be true. He told me everything about me. Would you like to come and find out as well? Come and ask your questions. It was like, maybe, maybe that was the first half course, I don't know. That was like an half weekend, wasn't it? Because it was two days. So this is an extraordinary act of God. And um, the, here's the response. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Do you notice that? She just tells her story and people believe. But then, verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. That was actually enough to believe. But now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Each of us can play our part. We can tell our story. And then when people respond, not just to your story, but actually they say, I want to follow Christ myself. Now I know it for myself. That's actually what confirmation is all about, guys. Confirmation is about saying, it's not just because I've been baptized and brought up as a Christian. I've come to believe this for myself. I know it's true wasn't expecting that but there's a little bit of confirmation in there and the I think the amazing thing here is you've not just got a um, you know group of people who are following Jesus as a result actually this is a what is a, a group of people who are following Jesus when they gather together what's that called church so um, this is like a church has just been planted by this woman. So I don't, I don't know if this is the first church plant, but it might have been. Planted by a promiscuous woman who'd been married five times already. Who could write a better script? But this woman was responsible for this, plant, this church being planted amongst these people who were not strictly the people of God who are transformed by a power encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ. This, this is like, this is extraordinary. And the thing is that Jesus is doing that today. Jesus is taking people like you and me 
and knowing everything about us and yet still believing in us. Loving us even though we don't deserve it and empowering us to be used in such a way that it changes people's lives. It's a guy called Wale who is um, he's, uh, in London. He um, uh, Nigerian family and um, kind of brought up in London. He went to Leicester University and he, f he had this dream as a 19 year old and felt God saying, you need to start a church. He said, I don't know anything about that, but he went to his vicar and said, um, I've had this dream. And the vicar called John just said, I think God's saying you should do this. So um, he said, I'll let you do it you know, like in, on a Sunday evening. And so Wale started inviting his friends and they were a very creative group of people, um, really into music, so they re recorded a lot of music, they did v music videos, they actually started this clothing brand and started promoting those. And they, they had a church around this. And that church grew to about 200 people. Some of those people, when they graduated, moved down to London and he followed them. And they started another group of people in London, um, in, uh, in, in actually a church I'm responsible for in the city. And that church now has grown to 200 people, mainly young, mostly in their early 20s. Um, and these are people who are, so they're very creative, they're a um, dynamic group of people. Um, and you know, that church is growing, seeing people coming to faith. And they're now just saying, actually, we want to reach the square mile of people in the city, and they want to keep on planting churches. So a young guy in his um, kind of mid-20s. Another person we've just um, been interviewing called Emma Miles. She's up in Bridlington. Emma is not a vicar. Um, it's like Wale's not a vicar yet. He's training to be one. But um, Emma uh, was invited by her vicar to connect with a group of people who she was trying to reach out to on a local estate. No one was kind of connecting with these people. And she'd grown up on that estate herself. And she just felt... Um, you know, I don't know if I can do this, I, but actually God is doing something in me. He's kind of calling me, stirring me. I don't know what to do with it. And so the vicar very kindly just said, look, I'm going to help you to do this, but go for it. God is calling you. Just don't worry. I'll make sure that if there are any mistakes, I'll cover, cover them for you. And she started to gather people. And um, just uh, in the interview that I saw, um, it's actually online at the moment, you can see it, where um, you've got the people around her who are full of anxiety, or have got seriously messed up lives. One lady just said, I've made lots of wrong choices, but, uh, but I saw you, Emma, and saw what God had done in your life, and saw other people in, around you, what God had done in their lives, and I just thought, maybe God could do something in my life. And she started coming along as well. And that group has become a church, and they meet every week, um, and they're seeing people's lives from very, very wounded and broken backgrounds, becoming Christians and being healed and transformed. And they don't say their lives are all together, but they do say actually God has completely changed us and we feel in a much better place than we were before. This is what God does. He changes people like Karina and reconciles them to their families. He changes um, uh, and empowers people like Wale to be um, people who will gather and start new creative things in, in cities around the country. He 
um, empowers people like Emma to be a change maker in a local estate. And there are people all over the place who are just beginning to start saying, actually, I want to join in with this. I want to join in with what God is doing. There are, this could be in churches, it could be in businesses, could be in communities. God wants to empower you to be a change maker in the same way that he empowered this amazing woman, the Samaritan woman, where everything was against her. He transformed her as well. So in a moment, I'm going to invite us to stand, um, if you can, and we're going to pray. And what I'd love to do is to just, um, wherever you're at, to say, to, to make an invitation. And I want you to imagine that it's like there's a no man's land between where you are. We all cover stuff up. And I'm not going to tell you to uncover that. But that is recognizing that, that we put up barriers. And those barriers stop us from being the people that God calls us to be. And Jesus steps into the no man's land like he did with this woman. And he says, would you like to come to me? Receive the free gift of eternal life that I give to you. Receive the living water that's not just a one-off, but it keeps on flowing up to eternal life. It keeps on going. It's something that, you know, if you've been a Christian years, you need to keep on tapping into that well, that living water. So I'm not just talking about people who are making that decision for the first time. I think for all of us, we're just saying, actually, Jesus, I want to step into your purposes for me. I want to know, uh, I want to invite you into the places where I've hidden from you. Well, I think I've hidden from you, but actually you knew all along. I want to invite your love to come into those parts that I've kind of put a boundary and barrier up to stop that love from changing me. But also I want to be used by you to change someone else's life. To change them in such a way that I could never do that on my own. But if I could tell my story or could invite someone or could encourage them or do something which is a God thing, then that completely transforms or changes their situation. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? To be involved in people's lives like that. Where people, when we're talking about singing in heaven... Someone comes up to you and says, thank you for what you did. So let's stand.